that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to Profane Faith. Guess what? It's your boy, Dan White Hodge. How y'all doing out there in podcast land, as always? Um, wow. We um, guess we have a new president, huh? <laughs> Everything's back to normal, right? Everything's back to uh, we're doing all right. We're, we're, we're feeling good, right? Right, right. Everything's uh, racism is ended. And uh, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, I will say, though, um, I did hold my breath on uh, Inauguration Day. If you're listening to this in real time, um, Inauguration Day was this last week. And, um, yeah, you know, I think uh, there's a collective feel for, you know, definitely uh, Joe, but definitely uh, for Kamala uh, is, is, you know, the Madam Vice President, because it... You know, I mean, it was as much crazy stuff, right? You know, and snipers, and maybe I've just seen too many Hollywood movies, and uh, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I was thinking somebody was going to try to, you know, take her out, man. So I was glad that that nothing happened. I was glad that it was, you know, security was actually on point. Um, I, you know, anytime you have a a, a person of color, um, you know, I think the same of uh, Alexandria Octavia, um, uh, AOC, excuse me. Um, uh, you know, every time that, you know, somebody, cause you know, they, we now, now found out, right. That, um, you know, there were people going into the Capitol building specifically looking for her to kill her. Um, you know, and so yeah, it's just, you know, just, just those things. And, you know, quite honestly, societally speaking, we have not had 
an assassination or an assassination attempt in a long time. I believe Reagan uh, back in the 80s was the was the last one um, and uh, which actually thrusted him into reelection, which was actually something I was thinking in my own plot and, uh, uh, you know, scheming that I, that uh, old Trump was 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 actually going to try to to pull off that, you know, that he was going to try to be assassinated or something like that. You know, he was crazy enough. Obviously, it didn't happen. But, uh, you know, that's you know, even when he got COVID, I was like, oh, man, he's going to probably do try to do some crazy, you know, I'm healed, you know, and his, you know, his followership is like a cult. Um, they are like committed to uh, to to that ideological structure. So, um, yeah, I you know, I, again, I, in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is this fool going to try to, you know, raise himself from the dead and, you know, got that whole QAnon thing. I think QAnon said it was supposed to be a big storm on uh, on uh, Inauguration Day. And of course, <laughs> there was no storm. Oh, my gosh. I tell you the craziness. But I will say uh, that, you know, the Biden, I think one of his first acts was to extend student loan payments uh, till October of this year, which I was very thankful for because a brother is still paying back uh, his student loans. And so uh, with the whole COVID thing going on, I am thankful to still have a break and uh, to put that money to pay off other stuff. Uh, and, you know, I've, and I've tried to loan because I know probably some of you think, oh, brother Dan, you should do the loan forgiveness. Okay, I did. And here's the thing. I've been at nonprofit institutions well over 10 years. I got my 10 years. I got my all that. But here's the thing. We refinanced and those motherfuckers went and changed the rules up and we're like, oh, the clock starts over. I'm like, oh, you mud up. So uh, I have to wait another, I think it's another five years, six years or something stupid like that. I don't know. I'm going to, now that we have a new uh, education secretary, I'm going to take a look and see. Uh, what new, you know, stuff comes out. I mean, they're postponed till October. And so I'm definitely not going to be paying nothing until then. Um, but uh, I, you know, it, it's, it, it always feels like the rules continually change. Um, you know, that's what drives me nuts. What drives me nuts about credit, um, credit scores and all that shit, man. I, you know, uh, especially rewards programs. I think rewards programs are like the biggest ripoff, especially the airline ones, man. They are just, you know, because brother ain't got no credit card. I know some of you say, I can't, but bro, damn, you just got to get a credit card. Nah, man, I ain't got no goddamn credit card. I went off credit cards. What was it? 2011. Um, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And, and even if I try, I actually did. I gave in one time. I was like, okay, let me try. Nope. Nope. You know what I'm saying? So they can they they can all eat a big one, man. They can they can go kiss my ass. <laughs> Straight up, man. I can't stand that shit. Uh, but at any rate, um what was I even talking about? <laughs> Just losing my losing my train of thought here, y'all. This it's it's too it's, it's too much snow, man. That's 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 what's going on. Actually, it's not a lot, but we're supposed to, we're expecting a snowstorm uh here in Chicago. So um, you know, brothers, brothers, brother holding out, you know. I got my got my salt and everything ready. Um, at any rate, I wanted to get into the conversation. I got a great guest and I don't want to take a lot of time. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is another one of those guests. That's just a great resource. Uh, they're an MDiv student. They are someone who is doing the damn work. I actually met Skylar, uh, at AAR, uh, this year they had AAR online and they had presented a paper and I was like, oh man, this, I got to get them on and uh, we're just going to have a conversation. So that's what we ended up doing and whatnot. So 
Yes, uh, yeah, I'm, I am excited uh, to have Skylar J on Their primary interests are in evolutionary anthropology, queer theology, theological anthropology, and phenomenology. Oh, hoo, 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 hoo. Uh, so I'm telling you, they are a uh, an MDiv student out at Yale Divinity. Uh, I believe they're just about to finish up. Uh, they put out an amazing paper, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to give away the beans. They're about to break it down here um, in a few minutes. But um, yeah, it's 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 voices like this that I'm always just like, wow. Let me let me learn some more. Uh, I'm I'm excited they're going to go back and do their um, uh, their PhD at some point. Um, and uh, I was just thankful to have them on the show. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Skylar J. And, uh, you know, I think uh, as we're thinking about the future, I know there's been kind of a sigh of relief. Um, you know, I definitely want to take that time to enjoy that. I mean, the last four years have been hell. Um, and I mean, this podcast was started um, as a result of the 2016 election. And uh, here we are. We have a new administration. Um I think it's important to take the time to celebrate at the same time. Uh, you know, we, there's, there's a lot to be done and there's a huge task, um, ahead of the Biden administration. More importantly, all those supporters of Trump didn't just go away. Um, and just because he's not in the media, thank God constantly, um, you know, it doesn't mean that, that, that ideological structure, uh, has gone away. i I would imagine, most of the listeners of this podcast are would feel the same way, but just in case a brother just had to say it, um, you know, we'll we'll see. We got, you know, we got some time in front of us. Uh, every administration has their challenges and uh, and whatnot. So I'm excited to see uh, what comes of all of this and what comes um, of that of this administration. So. I'm holding out. Um, I'm I'm not gonna hold my breath for much, and uh, but uh, so far I'm 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 enjoying what's what's going on. So we'll just uh, we'll hold on to our seats. All right, y'all, enjoy this conversation. Check out Skylar's work. Check out Skylar's uh, uh, Twitter feed as well. And uh, yeah, support them as much as you can because again, voices like this, powerful stuff. And if you're still uh, wanting some more resources. Here is some more, especially on queer theology. Good stuff. Enjoy it. Well, Skylar, thank you so much for joining me this today here on Profane Faith. Thanks for having me. So for those listening, uh, I heard Skylar present a paper at uh, this year's AAR, American Academy of Religion. And for those of you listening, you already know that AAR has been an amazing hub. I won't get into that. Uh, and so scholars like Skylar present and talk about amazing stuff. But before we get into that, let me ask you the question I ask everybody. What has been going on from birth to now that's brought you to this point? You're, I'm, I think you're an MDiv student, correct, at Yale? Yeah, I'm in my, I'm about to go into my last semester yes. at you. Um, yes. What has happened from birth until this point? Um, let's see, 25 years of snark and trying <laughs> to survive. <laughs> <laughs> I like the snark. I just come with it. Come with it. That's great. Now, where, um, where did you grow up at? So I, I, I grew up in Portland, Maine. Okay. Um, I spent my, my whole life in New England. Um, so I grew up in Maine. Um, I then moved to Massachusetts. I did, uh, a 
uh, my bachelor's degree at the University of Massachusetts Amherst in anthropology and minored in music performance. Um, and then I have been doing my uh, MDiv at Yale for the last three years. So that's that's the that's the overview. I keep moving a little bit further south geographically. Yeah, we'll yeah. See what the next next moves bring me. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Um. So why why the MDiv and why at a time and I and I ask this a lot of particularly religious scholars looking at theology from a different perspective, which is kind of the whole genesis of this show. It's like how do we decolonize how, at least for me, as I've been brought up, I was brought up in, you know, in a very black Seventh-day Adventist um, fundamental uh, religious background. And so I'd, I'd be curious, like, why an MDiv? What are you hoping to pursue after that? And uh, why Yale? I mean, why not? But Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I think that the easiest question for the, the MDiv the part to answer is that even though I've been on a very academic track for the MDiv, mm -hmm. uh, the MDiv brings a little bit of humanity to academia uh, because of this, this focus on connecting with people who are not trained mm. in uh, religious studies, um, you know, preaching to a congregation who does not have theological training uh, requires a different set of skills than writing a paper for an academic audience. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that I've appreciated about the MDiv is that it has made it so that I can, I'm always conscious of who is my audience? Mm -hmm. um, who do I want my work to be for? Who do I want to be representing? And especially doing work in queer and trans studies in which I think community work, um, focus on mutuality, mm. meeting each other where we are has been really important and laying this grounding of at, at its core, the academic work being relational and not just me trying to produce um, something that people are going to hopefully think is well thought up and well cited and all of these things that are important. I want it to honor the people yeah. um, on the other side. Um, so that's, that's sort of why an MDiv instead of uh, another more like traditionally academic um, degree, the professional degree. Mm -hmm. um, why Yale? Uh, it was close to where I was living. <laughs> and, I love it. Uh, and uh, when I started at Yale, my partner and I only had one car, mm -hmm. um, so yep. it, it, it made it made things things easy. Yes. Um, and was the last one? Was the last question? Oh no, no, that was it. That was it. I was just. I mean, I said, you know, why not? I mean, I was just being like snarky, like you know, why why not Yale? But I was yeah. that that no, that's great. I get it. I mean, I did in my undergrad. At a place called Cal State Monterey. I'm a West West Coast guy. So I was in like the Bay Area, Central Coast. And I chose the undergrad because it was literally a car drive away from where I was living. And so I was like, I, yes, I, let me just do that. Um, so as you're because this and this is something I love asking, particularly folks who are studying it in it. How, where are you grounding yourself theologically? How have you be separated yourself from when people hear, OK, Masters of Divinity, pastoral you know right i mean there, there's there's been 
such a negative connotation and stereotype that comes along with with that, right? I mean, how do you separate? Do you do you not? Do you engage? How do you ground yourself? In in you know, in, in what thought do you ground yourself? In in, in? and I'm I'm genuinely curious because this this stuff I I'm I'm gonna have to start taking notes here. This is I'm I'm curious to know. How do I ground myself theologically? Um, I think that I, I used this phrase a couple of times in my uh, in my paper, um, trying to write an embodied and experiential yes. theology. Yes, yes. Uh, theology, I I struggle with uh, abstract philosophical okay. ideas in general. Um, I. I want to put things in action in practice. I want to see the effects in the real world. Um, and so there's, I think there's pushback on, on either side. And so my, my kind of practice is to draw in the real lived experiences mm -hmm. with sort of this abstract theology and play with it a little bit, see what comes up. And sometimes it works and sometimes it, you know, could use a little bit of, more more work um but that's why i i think that one of the problems with academia um is the denial of allowing ourselves and our experiences into into our work mm -hmm. um and if we let we're but we're body individuals producing work um and our stories matter um in that work and so when i'm doing theological work, I'm grounding myself in saying, does this make sense mm. as someone who is living in situations um, of great crisis and great peril? Does yeah. it actually bring hope um, or and liberation, or, or is it just some abstract idea that seems ungraspable? Okay. Um, does that make sense? Yes. No, absolutely. And I, and I did appreciate that about you, when you started your paper talking about using yourself as this embodiment, you know, with within that and how the academic rigor has is 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 not been a good place for queer and trans as folks. And also the I, and this is what I love about newer scholarship is because there's a new way of looking at it pushing past what has already been done, right? I mean, we so I you know, I talk a lot about uh, you know, the academy, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a professor. And so I've, you know, I've done, I've gone through all the the things, right. All this, like adjuncting, TA in tenure, you know, the whole nine. Right. Um, but there's a certain way that it's been done and it was designed for older white cis men. <laughs> so when somebody news coming in, like, for example, I did my dissertation on the theology of in gospel of Tupac Amaro Shakur, um, now people are like, oh, great. Tell me more. You know, another hat in the box. But 20 years ago, people were like, why? Why would you even do that? That's a profane person. How, so I'd be curious. How have you navigated the profane and the secular? I know those are binary, but I but I want to play with that a little bit. I'm just curious how when people say this is that's a sin uh, because so many folks still live in that. And especially and I say this particularly because a lot of my listenership is are people of color coming out of an evangelical uh, environment and they're they're still trying to make sense of what the hell is 
all of this. There's you mean there's more than just good and evil. So I'd be curious. What are what are your some of your some thoughts on that? Or how do you hold some of those things in tension? That makes sense. Mm. Let's see. That was a lot. Can you can you break it down into like the the question again? Yes. I'm going in lots of different yes. directions. Sorry, <laughs> I know, I know, I I get, I get excited here, and and um, how do you navigate? We'll put the first binary out: secular and sacred. Mm. Well, oh, this is interesting. Um, <laughs> I well, I guess the first thing to know is that I hate binaries. Okay, come on, come on, break it down then. Um, and I think part of that is uh, as a trans person and as a non-binary trans person, um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. There's, there's mm -hmm. more than, um, more than just male or female in that space. And my, my, my favorite thing when I, I try to talk to people about gender and, and, sort of if people have an idea of like what what gender is like it's often as a line as a spectrum right with male mm -hmm. on one side and female on the other side and people are starting to realize that there's there's gray area in between but in my mind what gender is like is like a scribble all over a paper mm. and i can go oh there that's my gender like where is it in the squiggle and so i i, I think that that just describes a lot of things that are binaries is you. that they're messy. Yeah. They're complicated. Um, and that's what the sacred and the the profane is, or the sacred and the secular, um, it gets messy too, um, because the secular is tied up in the state. Mm. It's also tied up in a form of like white Protestantism mm. so much of the time. It is not just the absence of religion in the way that we often take it to be but then there's also these we can talk hear about the rhetoric following um last wednesday right when they're talking about the the capital as this sacred place like what happens to yes. the separation between church Good and point. state and i think thinking about even this little slice of um you know history this event really highlights this messiness of the binary between um sacred and secular and so i think in my mind i'm always questioning uh questioning binaries because I, they're never as simple as they seem um there's messiness i love that i love that and i love that you you brought it out like you said i hate binaries you're absolutely correct i I love that, like the, the scribble and the messiness of, of what those look like. And I and, and bringing it back, exactly what you're talking about. There was a sense of 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 language, right, that that was used last week about, you know, this place is, you know, this hallowed ground and how can they desecrate it? I mean, it's, it's we're almost talking about a, a, a realm of the Vatican, you know, that, you know, located here at the Capitol. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> what and so and that's a good leverage. I mean, what what have been some of your thoughts then? You know, from from last week. I mean, um, you know, the last four years, I'm I'm sure have been an interesting time. I know they have been for myself. Um, again, how have you navigated some of that messiness and 
I mean, I, I wasn't surprised with what happened last week. I mean, these fools was planning this stuff for two weeks. I mean, if anybody was paying attention, if my daughter can 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 know that this was coming, I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody in the FBI could have figured that out. But I'd be curious. Anyways, that's too I'm saying too much. What what were your thoughts and, in, in, you know, particularly with some of the stuff that came out and particularly with some of the right, at least some of the images that we're seeing you know, tend to be these very, you know, heteronormative, hyper-masculine men about, you know, we're losing this. What y'all, what you think? Yeah, it's, it's definitely complicated. Um, Mm. I think, I think that, and I, I think my complicated emotions have to do with, uh, you know, tricky relationships to the state. I mean, I, I will write, um, very critically of 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 the state and yet it is also shocking to see um an attack on sort of the center of the government and the state um and navigating those those two tensions um has been interesting i'm not really sure where i stand on on that only that um yeah the the sort of the idea that it wasn't surprising just so well that it was surprising sorry i'm not surprised like Mm -hmm. you said um and that things just have gotten swept under under the rug that there's this visibility this this hyper visibility and then it just goes poof away Mm -hmm. um and that's sort of i mean that's how empire works right is that it it's this process of visibility and then absenting um and then visibility and absenting again Mm -hmm. um and i think we we've seen this even i think i saw something about how like trump introduced yet another decrease in like trans people being able to access healthcare. yes yes how many times in the past four years has this come up and it's become a high point and then it's gotten swept away again mm-hmm. um and again with this not being surprising we look at the attack on um was it michigan when they they stormed yeah, the capital in it. michigan that's right it. um or or the online rhetoric like there are other events we know that this is what you know white supremacy does it has mm-hmm. a pattern we've seen it since charlottesville we've been seeing it over the past like for so much longer than the past four years um and so i think that there's some real worry about is this going to be a flashpoint that just Mm. gets pushed away again will there be change and i think we're already seeing that in some of the like if you look online, they're already planning for the inauguration. Right. Day. Right. right. And yet there seems to be no like worry. The elected officials are, are saying, oh, no, we're not worried. The inauguration will be completely safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what it really, really highlights is is that the state that there are people who are actors of the state, but that mm-hmm. people aren't the state and the state doesn't care about people, no matter how powerful they 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 are the state is um will just push push things away for the good of the state even if you know it will put more people in danger Um, right because that's the only way for the the state to to sort of survive um if we let the this attack like affect the the state like things start to 
crumble and rumble and it's like the <laughs> the last the last ditch grab at like I have to hold on to something. Um so that's what I've been thinking about. I've also been thinking a lot about um you know abolition and how mm. that plays into to this and all of the cries to for arrests and uh I think I think when it the the cries for arrests and for convictions is is grounded in the fact that um there's a sense of of wanting to see accountability wanting to see which we just haven't seen because everything just gets swept away like it never right. never happened right um and there are other ways to to have accountability and consequences for actions but uh, we live in a state that worships, you know, prisons and the carceral system. Mm, mm. Um, and so, so yeah, those are some of the things that have been swirling in my mind over yes. the last, not even a week, not even a week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say in the last week, but it's really yeah. only been five days. <laughs> That's the truth, Skylar. That is the truth. It hasn't even been that much. And, uh, I, you know, I even usually on my podcast, I try to, you know, if there's something big that happens, I'm like, OK, let me let me hop on it. Let's have a discussion about that. But I don't know. But this one, I was like, I, I need to marinate on this a little bit more and, and kind of process. Because like you said, it hasn't it hasn't even been a week. I mean, <laughs> here we are. Right. I mean, um, so I mean, I get I, this is this. Is, I'd be curious because I get that you. Uh, so I'm 47. You said you're 25. Yep. Okay, so we're 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 in different generations, uh, a kindred yep. spirits, but different generations. Um, how do you see the future going? Um, how do you see? And I'm genuinely asking, genuinely asking. I mean, full full cards on the table. I know I'm I'm a half glasses half empty kind of brother, but um, you know, when we think about climate change, I know this like what Spain just got like record snow. I think 22 inches within a 24 hour period. We've had record warm days. I'm in Chicago. I mean, by now it'd be, you know, about in the teens. We've barely gotten any snow. We're, you know, we're going to hit 45 later this week, which is like in middle of January. So you got climate change going on. Then you've got, uh, like you said, the whole issues with the state. Um, and we haven't even started to talk about astronomy and, and, and you know, the planets and, you know, they're predicting that, the, you know, we could find uh, life on other planets by the end of the decade. So, what are your thoughts, though, from from your perspective? I, I'm I'm genuinely curious. Well, I I also tend to be a rather a bitter and glass <laughs> empty. See, I knew I liked you for a reason. That's great. I love yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, but it's like the, the the snark comes back, right? It's it it uh, comes back. Um, but I I think that one of the things that I find interesting and to, to sort of bring it back to what I'm, I'm working on academically is the paper I, I, I presented at AAR was a, a cut down version of, of a paper I wrote about a year ago in which I was totally committed to writing this paper that did not turn towards hope. I was like, we are going to sit in the messiness yes. Come on. Of, of death and we're Come going on. to, resist the like progress narrative of it's getting better mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. 
And, and I did for like a really long time. I'm writing this and then I get to the conclusion and I get to the end and I, I looked at it and I said, oh my God, this conclusion is like the beginning of an eschatology. Like <laughs> against everything else, my, my trying is, is that there, there was still like this, this glimmer of, of another world possible. And so I guess that that's my, my perspective Ooh. is that generally my outlook is very bleak. Um, but there's something pulling me along. That's like, no, don't give up everything. It's still like worth fighting for something at times. And, and I think that that's like what, that's like the driving force that like, I mean, this summer that led me like there's a pandemic going on. Okay. But I'm out in the street, like at hmm. these protests and stuff. Yeah. I feel like if I didn't have that glimmer of hope, what would bring me to go and, you know, do actions like that, or even want to uh, put some of my academic work out in the world. Um, there's something that, that pulls me forward. That's like, well, everything's really, really bleak, but maybe there is a possibility that we can't see right now that's on the horizon. Um, now I'd really, I really am struggling with that hope with the whole climate change thing, because we seem to be doing a really bad job about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll see if the, the glimmers of, of, of hope are uh, able to break forth in that regard. That one is, I'm withholding judgment right now on whether that will happen or not. Yeah. No, I, yeah, exactly. Well, it, well, I found it interesting. I think at the, we were all on lockdown back in, what was it March, April? I mean, there was, you know, several studies that came out that said, you know, our, the air pollution had gone down in major cities and like, you know, and they were like, if only this, you know, could continue with, you know, cause I feel like as humanity, we, we have the means, right. To, to do it. I always feel like money obviously comes back and gets, you know, gets back in the way. How have you, as theologically then, how, how how have you held some of these together? When you talk about hope, I'd be curious how that is. And then definitely I want to jump back to your paper and, and, and what, you know, what you presented there. Um, but I also curious just, you know, some of the, some of the theological narratives, maybe passages that you've hung on to or you've clung to that, that have made sense uh, in, you know, th you know, in the canon and whatnot. Does that make sense? That question makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, um, hmm. I think that for me and theologically what I'm, when I'm thinking about hope, I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking about eschatology, I'm thinking very much not of the kind of eschatology that's like, some rescue mission or yeah. some like distant utopia that's like well it's okay that life is really terrible now because in heaven it will all be better in the eschaton it will all be better um because what do we do with the bad stuff now um yeah. and so i think that um getting rid of like that temporality and that sort of teleology has been really important. Um, in terms of like verses that have, have, have stuck out for me. Um, 
I mean, the, the thing I preached my senior sermon on, uh, revelation 21, the new heaven and a new earth Ooh. and thinking about how, like, All right. how do we, like, can we conceive of a new earth as not being like on this earth? Mm-hmm. Um, and not, and re- resisting sort of that, that narrative of it completely changing. And it seems really distant and we, can't quite grasp it at this moment but that doesn't mean we have to actually physically die to get to that that better life but there is hope in this life Mm -hmm. um and i think i find that with sort of just any sort of resurrection narrative that that comes up um or or even like just liberation narratives of of like the exodus like Mm -hmm. that's a new that's a new life that's a sort of resurrection of a people who have been enslaved um the these sorts of ideas that there is continually new life possible whether we're thinking of that as a moving from oppression to liberation from like death into life to this world to another world Mm -hmm. um that those are all sort of eschatological frameworks um and they don't they aren't relegated to some otherworldly realm um we can access them now um and we need to otherwise what good are they to our flourishing yes I like that. I like that. And I, and I asked that, you know, be, partly because I, I love looking at, you know, what does the quantum realm look like for spirituality? What does it look like for theology? How do we understand? I mean, I don't want to be like the UFO, you know, guy, you know, was like, hey, you know, aliens were here. Uh, at the same time, I do ask myself if if, if, if something, some being can be omnipresent uh, here and there and in all spaces, what then does that say of their technology and how they've constructed it and whatnot? Um, so moving on to that, I mean, I think I, I, again, your paper, the title temporal hauntings, ambiguity, eschatology, and the lived finite of trans embodiment. Um, love the way you started out, but you know, uh, walk us through that. How did that come about? And you said this was part of a longer paper. Um, because like I said, when I heard you presenting, I was like, all right, I got to reach out. I, I, I got to get Skylar on the show. Um, so, yeah, walk us through that a little bit. And I'm definitely curious how that looks in with in, uh, in eschaton ideology. But please. Um, so the, the paper came about as a part of a, a class I took uh, just over a year ago called Finitude, Vulnerability and Risk. Um wow. Yeah, great, great class. Um, and it, so it was a lot of what are some different models of, of vulnerabilities? What diff, How is vulnerability distributed unequally across, based on race, class, gender? Um, and how do we, we reckon with, with, um, with that spread of vulnerability and finitude? Um, a different life chances for, mm. for, for different people. Um, and 
at sort of the middle of the semester, we read uh, Christina Sharp's In the Wake mm. on Blackness and Being. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and there were a lot of things that I appreciated about um, that book. One is she does pepper in some uh, personal narrative about mm-hmm. um, the deaths of family members, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also constructed this idea of, of being in the wake and, and wake work as, as living in the afterlives of slavery. And um, now that that's very much tied to race um, and but it caught me thinking because she talks about this sort of climate of death that um, is engendered by the afterlives of slavery. And it started connecting me to some of like my experiences as a trans person that were, you know, very different. I am a white trans person. I will not claim to uh, understand uh, uh, exactly what she was talking about there. Um, but I read it alongside with um, Gail Salomon's Assuming a Body, which I used extensively in this this paper, um, and started thinking about hauntings mm. and sort of the ghostly and and how there is there is a past um, that continually returns in in the trans uh, experience um, through this mode of transition and interactions with the world that are often violent Mm. and um, a denial of the self that sort of create this ghostly figure in sort of both the cultural imagination and for the trans person moving through through the world um and so so it was really those two books were were key and sort of jump-starting some some ideas for how to think about um, the main question of well, how how does the the trans body become situated in the world within a history of marginalization, and well, what do we do from 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 there? Um, I mean, Sharp talks about in in sort of her schematic about um, wake work as care for the, for community care. Um, and the way that I, I sort of got to was sort of an eschatology of sorts of the fact that there trans people are still living Mm -hmm. despite like a state that says they're not. Um, yeah. And it also really, I think it has proved to be in, in uh, some continued work um, and developing this eschatology has really been a good way to try to um, have my sort of trans studies materials uh, talk with um, Afro-pessimism and Black studies in ways that I, I've been grateful to be in classes where we were talking about uh, both of those fields um, because trans studies is very white. Um, And Mm. there are a lot of um, connections and it's something I'm definitely 
try to be conscious of as someone who can still pass as feminine. I'm small. I'm generally non-threatening and white. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and so it's an interesting tension to 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 play with and and try and work with connections between black studies and trans studies and mm-hmm. disability studies. Um, it has opened up a lot. Well, I love the connection and that I think that was the nuance that really caught my attention because I, I, I do pay a lot to attention to Afro pessimism and, um, and Afro futurism for that matter. Right. It's like, you know, what does, you know, being in this world look like, but what does the future might, you know, what might that look like? What, and what, and what are some of the interesting links that you picked up on? I know, um, I'm reading a line just from your abstract. It says, finally, through the theological nexus of death and resurrection, which I'm interested in, the potential for trans livability is elucidated through um, an exploration of the eschatological hope that can be found in the temporality of haunting. Break the, break that down for, for, for some listeners, because that's that stuff right there. Woo! Come on. Okay. So... Um I'm like, remember, I'm like, wow, that's a good sentence. It's also very confusing. Um, <laughs> lots of academic words there. Um, the theological, well, this goes back to sort of like what verses I'm, I'm grounding myself in is mm-hmm. that there's this huge paradox <laughs> in the canon of, um, of death not being the end, of death being defeated in some way um and resurrection past all hope um and so taking that alongside um looking at trans life as something that is violently suppressed um in uh in 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 racialized and classed and gendered ways um in ways that prevent access to health care as we're seeing yet again um in ways that uh limit employment um that trans people who and when i think about trans i'm thinking it about it as people who cannot fit into the sort of norms of the American cis heteronormative social state, right? Mm-hmm. Who cannot be incorporated into that, that body politic um, or somehow outside of it, um, whether that's transgender or another trans um, sort of modifier that we're not supposed to survive that because if you can't be incorporated, then and they try and get rid of you. Um, and yet yeah. we can see that, um, you know, we're living, <laughs> talking <laughs> yes. and yes. Um, surviving and, and dying. But at times, but we also see, I, I mean, maybe the names of, uh, you know, the name Tony McDade isn't as familiar to people as um, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. And yet his was also a name that was shouted at some of these protests and saying, remember him, remember all of these trans women of color. Um, Oh, 
and my dog is barking in the background. That was good timing. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm surprised mine aren't yet, but I love it. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Just a, a reminder that like, even, you know, even in death, we're bringing these, these people back, they become a rallying cry. Um, and, and so there's an afterlife too. Um, but that they haven't gotten rid of us completely yet. And, and that maybe that's, that's slim hope. That's a little pessimistic. And when I say like yet, um, but that there's still possibility because despite everything that tries to suppress trans livability, yeah. um, and creating and sort of that tension between life and death supposed to be dead, but alive as this sort of lived finitude, um, mm -hmm. and that what I call haunting, um, that there's, there's possibility because it isn't actually all death in the way that it's often narrate, narrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that, and that's, I mean, I love the way your use of haunting, I mean, right. I mean, you know, going from the, the, the traditional sense of what Hollywood is made of hauntings and, and, and ghosts and ghouls. But I think there's something to that. I mean, I think, again, I'll, I'll perspectivize it, you know, in my sense of, the haunting of the ancestors, you know, I can't imagine what it was like, right, to come over on a boat and to only think my my way out is either in, in, in enslavement, you know, being brutally beaten or to throw myself and my child off the side of this boat and drown. Um, I I can't, you know, those, those hauntings, right? I mean, I'm Afro-Latino, so it's like I... I you know, Dia de los Muertos is, is, you know, is something, right? It's like with my grandmother passing, it's like, you know, what relics do I keep around that will keep her memory alive and, and, and keep her, right? And so I like that. I like that nuance that you're bridging there. I'm just, uh, just for me, and just, I'm, I'm resonating with that. And so I think that's, that's, that's solid, Skylar. You, you, you onto something there. As they say, that'll preach right there. That'll preach. Um, What are some of the... Let me ask this. What what is some of the the pushback? What are some of the the cross examination, as I always like to call it, uh, you, that you've gotten in regards to just your position? I mean, I can imagine, but I but I'm curious. But particularly anytime you know, religion is it's like politics, right? It's so near and dear to all of us that anytime somebody says, "Yeah, but hold up," there's always a "Yeah, but mm, mm. so." What has been some of that? What does that look like for you um, in regards to? this paper, your work, your research, and just life in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of my research, I haven't gotten a lot of pushback on the sort of religious or theological aspects of it. And I think part of that is that I'm using theology in a very um, sort of a more abstract, well, in a, in a way that where it's it, it's it's informing sort of this this trans studies um, or anthropological narrative narrative, but it's not. Um, I'm not going verse by verse and saying like right. this is how I've been in the es eschatology here, and it's not a systematic theology. I I mean I can't say for sure. I think if I tried to do a trans systematic theology, that would probably engender a little bit more. Um, pushback um but in sort of the more 
you know, other social sciencey way of uh, the there's some discomfort in using religious language or theological language, but it's it's not uh, quite as uh, there's not quite as much pushback there. Hmm. Um, I think that like in my life, there's certainly been more more pushback when i tell people what i do what i write about there's always this like (laughs) you're trans (laughs) you're queer you work at a church (laughs) that's like it doesn't doesn't add up to them right and 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 that's something that has just kind of been a, a constant uh yeah struggle thing thing to navigate you know ever since i came out in high school um there's i've found much more of a a disconnect in in some of that and who knows maybe that has impacted how i approach my theological work now of of not wanting to you know choosing my battles and where i want to um you know get pushback and and where i want to save face a little bit um i think i get more pushback around um you know critiquing uh sort of the trans activism that uh Hmm. you know solely strives for more rights um yeah and that just asks the exclusive state or it's that that homo nationalism argument saying like well we can can you give us just a little bit bit more like we're we're good we're just like you we just you know want to marry a spouse of the same gender um but really we're we're good american citizens um and sort of how that argument just further marginalizes the most marginalized um further marginalizes uh you know queer and trans people of color incarcerated people um who who are seen as like cannot become like acceptable like white heteronormative citizens um (laughs) yeah that's no i mean that I, i i i like that that's good um and along with that, I mean, so I think about that and that's great. I mean, how do you, well, let me ask you, I got like five questions that came up, but let me ask this. How do you feel, particularly being in your generation, that the work of others, uh, you know, just the present climate, has that assisted, not assisted? Is, is it still continuing to be messy? Do you see, because, you know, the narrative is that, well, those who are younger, they've got it, they got it better, right? It's like, again, I'll go back to black. It's like, oh, the young black folk, they got it. They got a ways. They don't know what it was like. And it's just like, well, I, I don't know if that's always true, but I'd be curious uh, from where your perspective, from where you, your path, your life journey, like what, what would you say, you know, how that would be and how that would engage with? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that in some ways, um, we do have it better um and um but but i want to say what in any time where we say like it gets better right i want to know like it gets better for whom there you go okay great question i think that it 
it gets better for, uh, I think it's gotten better overall for white queer people. Mm. I think it's gotten better overall for trans people who are trans masculine. Mm. Um, because like, then you're moving up in the world, right? Like you're moving up if you're, you're becoming more masculine, but why would you want to go the other way? Why would you want to become more feminine? That's degrading or, um, you know, there, there are these different amounts of, of oppression, um, that inflect how we, how we experience this, this progress. Um, it gets, what is, what does a narrative of it gets better mean for, um, someone who is, you know, not a citizen or, uh, someone who is incarcerated, um, but are still queer or trans and identify in different ways. Um, and so that's, that's what I, I am, I want to add on to that is the, is the Mm -hmm. for whom part, because Mm -hmm. I think that there is a level of acceptance and normalization that has happened. I can see it even like basing my own experience, um, of coming out initially in a school of, you know, 900 students and I could probably count on my my hand how many like out queer people there were right when I came out and and how different it was like when I was a graduating senior in high school like how many more people there were and hearing about the experiences of people in my school and in other places who were like three three to five years behind me and how Mm -hmm. different their experiences were um growing up so the there's definitely a shift. I think that it is a very uh, naive um, claim to say that uh, it has gotten better overall. Um, I think that's a claim made from a place of privilege. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good. I lo- and I love the question, right? For whom has it gotten better for? And, and I and my cat. I didn't mean to distract you. My, my my he's it's you know he uses me as kind of a human uh, uh, a cat tree and stuff. And, and for the listeners, I know you can't see my cat Grizzy was just all, running all over me. Um, but I like that. I mean, because I think those are the questions I ask. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate. You know, MLK, and I always ask, it's like, okay, yeah, right. But you know, he's he's dead. He's he could potentially be alive. I mean, health issues and genetic stuff aside, but he could potentially still be alive. Um, you know, so I, what what are we celebrating 50 plus years now later? Um, well, and especially I think after the, the summer that we've had, like have, how, how much have we, have we grown since then when we had more than a hundred days of protests and it's amazing how long this protest energy kept up and how how many people the events of the spring and the summer brought out to the street. Um, but we also, now when we think about MLK and all of the people he was working with, like how how much can we say has changed in that in that time period when you put them side by side? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, 
Woo, that's a lot there. That's a lot there. I, I I love it. I mean, I think these are the areas, right, that I think, you know, are just that 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 weigh heavily on on folks who, you know, like you said, you know, you get into the readings, you get into the material, you start to ask a lot of these these questions about, you know, what is um speaking of that, um what how have you then begun to given your work, how have you have you looked at a God, the God here, when we think about, we're talking just, you know, spirituality, we're talking theology, how then do we see divinity or how then do we, do we look at a divinity? And I and I'm asking that person because I, I know I'm still working through, through that. Um, especially when you have all the counter narratives and, uh, you know, I, 5% of gods on earth, you know, and, and, and whatnot, who, Talk about you know different narrative, different messianic narratives, but I, I'm I'd be curious that just it popped up as you were talking, and, and mainly because the book in the back you have a book that says God on it, so I was like, well, let me let me ask them and see what they <laughs> think in regards to deity. Um, and it's a fascinating question, right? Because I think we've we've only ever seen right the evangelical version of a kingdom a God and His Son, right? He is a He, and and what that looks like, but. What are, you, what are your thoughts as you're studying all this and putting some of this stuff together? Yeah, um, I think that the easiest way for me to explain it, and, and this comes from, I I do children's ministry. And so so I have to like boil these these things down for, for the kids every week. Um, and I think the thing that I keep coming back to is, is the things I say to them, which is like, well, we can't, like see God and we can't necessarily like, it's hard to know about interacting with God, but like, how do we feel God? And do we interact with God when we interact with other people in the world? Um, Is so for me, interacting with divinity is, is about um, the places in life, uh, the relationships that, are life-giving and flourishing are this like goodness of of god and creation um the things that are counter to the narratives of death and destruction that are everywhere because it's 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 like the paper itself right um there's all this death and destruction and and then there are these little shoots of of new growth that that come up no matter what um and so for me I have a really hard time with like the idea of an omniscient, omnipotent, like God it, who's abstract outside of time and space. Um, I I have this sense of radical transcendence. Sure, I can't see God, but I'm gonna or explain what God is, but I'm gonna. But I also know that I feel God. <laughs> it's this this it's there's separation and there's there's distance. Um, and so I, I think I encounter God when I'm surprised in good and beautiful ways. And I mm. see, I see brokenness and I also see new life mm. in the middle of it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. Well, and man, that's, that's awesome. Because and and you know, I think it's encouraging, uh, dare I say, because it, again, oftentimes we only just tend to just see this one image, right, of God, and 
what that may entail but it's usually one image right a very uh, <laughs> a very binary image at that too um but i like that and, and you said you know breaking it down for for children's ministries i mean you, you definitely <laughs> teleology is definitely is not something that <laughs> i'm gonna grasp oh that's that's uh that's awesome um what are you currently working on what are you what do you what do you got going what's 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 giving you life right now um, what is uh, giving me life right now is that oh, wow. you you can tell we've been in a pandemic for ten months. Absolutely, right? so like, oh, yes. Tired. Yes. Um, what yes. is giving me me life right now? Um, I have been really grateful for any opportunity that I can talk with other people. Um, it's having these good, good conversations, um, holding on to any sort of connections, um, with other people doing good work, um, is what's, what's keeping the hope sustain, sustaining. And as much as I don't, I'm worried about the weather, with the climate change crisis, I'm enjoying the fact that things are a little bit warmer around. Um, that's, that's bringing some hope. Um, and trying my best to take a break from work during this break. That is life-giving. Last semester was absolutely soul-sucking. Um, so uh, I'm trying to, to find life and and do things and you know nurture my identity outside of being academic and academic which as i think many of us know that work-life balance is a tricky one to navigate <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely are you thinking possibly a, a a doctorate at some point that's the hope okay. um we'll oh. we'll see we'll see what what happens there um but yeah, um, as everyone around me and in, in my circle said uh, about a year and a half ago, where I where I said, you know what, I'm not going to be done after my MDiv. I'm going to get a PhD. And literally everyone around me was like, Skylar, you are the last person to come to this conclusion. So <laughs> we'll see when, but it's probably inevitable. <laughs> yes. Well, I could tell just by just the first five minutes of talking with you, I was like, oh, this, this has got to be, this has got to be the next viable step. Um, so when, I was, my other question was like, when's the, when's the book coming out? <laughs> Shoot. It's a good question. Come on. Um, well, it's funny. It's funny. Mm -hmm. I was on a Zoom call with a good friend this morning okay. who said that last night he had a dream mm -hmm. that he was overhearing a conversation between me and my advisor about preparing my dissertation there for book publication. So I'm taking that as a, as a premonition. There you go. So, you know... At some point, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so last couple questions. I know we. This has been a great conversation. I have enjoyed uh, talking with you. And um, I, in fact, I gotta. I'll talk with you more. But I, I'd love to get you in, into one of my classes as a guest speaker. Um, I actually could pay you for that. I'm broke for the show, but I got institutional funds. I, I could get you for that. Um. <laughs> 
what uh, if somebody is? I get this question a lot, just because of the nature of the show, uh, and I don't necessarily always have great answers. But I mean, I'll just I'll put you on the spot. Uh, what are some must reads for queer studies, queer theology, trans studies, trans theology? What are what are some things that are out there, or some maybe some resources that I'll just I'll ask you. I'll put you on the spot since since uh, since I, I know those questions come up. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, my instant rec for queer theology is the book Queer Theology Beyond Apologetics by Lynn Tonstad. Okay. Um, and, uh, cause I think she really breaks down a lot of the primary, uh, queer theological arguments, uh, incisively and connects queer theology very well to queer theory, race, capitalism um that is excellent um trans theology it's a little eh, I, I i there's there's little there um there there isn't a lot there um but i think there's some really interesting work being done in trans studies and two of the books that i have found most useful are um c riley snorton's black on both sides which Hmm. is a racial history of trans identity and um is really looking at this trans as an analytic and the connections between blackness and and transness and how the the ungendering and also hypergendering of of black bodies um through the transatlantic slave trade um and in the afterlives of slavery um incredible read um and then toby beauchamp's going stealth um which looks at the surveillance practices um of the united states um that's a really short it's a pretty short read too um and looking at how like heightened transgender visibility has led to um even more and an acceptability of sort of a the transgender has shifted um sort of the stigma and blame and the danger surrounding trans transness onto sort of the figure of the arab terrorist mm-hmm. um mm. and mm. so i i think that those um because I, I think that sort of race and surveillance are are really key right now and thinking about um trans trans studies and trans embodiment and those so those would be my two recs for for that i love it i love it and for those of you listening i will put these in the the show notes whiteoutpodcast.com and you can click on those for those who are asking Skylar, this has been great thank you so much for taking the time and sharing the, your, your wisdom i love this this was great yeah, this was an awesome conversation. Um, I'm so glad to have uh, been able to do this. Um, yeah, thanks. Where can folks find you in case they want to bring you out, keynote, and, you know, bring you out for the for the conference? You know, once once we all get vaccinated and we have the, the grand conference in the summer of 2021, right? You know, everybody getting together and stuff. Where can they, uh, where can they ring you up? Yeah, so uh, you can find me... Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's at Skylar J J A Y underscore. Um, or you can email me. My email is Skylar dot K E I T E R at Yale dot edu. Um, 
I'm sure we can put that in a little little tagline to a description of the episode if people want to find me. Um, yeah, so email, Twitter, um, and I'm always excited to uh, talk about my research and my life. So That's what I love. I love it. And I do love the way, I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, just the way you, you use yourself as in narrative and in story. Uh, that's something that I... Uh, I use a methodology called ethno life narrative uh, and part of my uh, dissertation. And so I'm always drawn to folks who use their own personal life as, as, is as part of that. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a strange, it can be a strange method at times, but I, I think that my writing is definitely enhanced by it. And I, I love troubling academic norms. So yes. Uh, break it down yes. trouble the norms yes um, so any ways that i can do that i will do them there you go that's the title of a book trouble the norms there you go new york times bestseller right there <laughs> well thanks again skylar thank you so much